Welcome to Headliners, the podcast. This is the paper review that won't put you to sleep. You can catch us live every night from 11 on GB News with a panel of top-notch comedians going through the biggest stories hitting the next day's papers. But don't worry, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Headliners. Hello, good evening, and welcome to Headliners. I'm Simon Evans. Very shortly, myself and my comedy guests here will be taking you through tomorrow morning's newspapers. Good evening and welcome to Headliners with me, Simon Evans, and my guests this evening, two men who each in their own way demonstrate that you can be a rebel, an iconoclast and a radical and still look presentable and a credit to your mother. <laughs> <laughs> welcome, Simon Fanshawe, Nick Dixon. How are you, gentlemen? Hello, I'm very well. Thank you very much. I'm very well dressed, apparently. You're very well dressed and, Nick, you look splendid as well. Slightly oh, more you. Wimbledon-y. I'm semi-well and semi-well dressed, I suppose, because I'm feeling a little bit ill and I don't have the tie. You are a little bit ill, but you're choosing not to go down the Covid route, aren't you, with it? And I'm choosing not to tweet about it with a little video of me with a face in the pillow. Well, we just had Mark Dolan there in the previous programme. He's launched a sort of campaign against people misery tweeting with their right, right. You, you don't need to ask the government to step in. Just watch Godfather Part 1 and 2. That's my recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> have, you, have you kept away from it so far? Well, so far I had, but um, uh, my business partner today went to Glastonbury, he came back from Glastonbury and he tweeted me today and he said that uh, uh, he got it watching Paul McCartney, yeah. his friend got it watching Elton John, another friend got it watching uh, Mick Jagger and a fourth friend got it watching Johnny Lydon. So clearly COVID is spread by watching old rock stars. I was going to say, it's kind of going to crack... What's, what's the word? Watching is at it home on the TV. Gerontological disease, yeah. I would imagine if I'd been stood in front of Paul McCartney for nearly three hours, I would be rather sore. Do you know, I skipped in and out, though, and I watched about an hour of it, and you did think... He's 80. How is he doing that? How is I know. he doing that? I know. God, By that age, most people are telling, that, telling younger people their age at bus stops. Yes, <laughs> I thought he was fantastic. <laughs> it the was bit that amazing. I watched. It was wonderful. So, let's crack on with the front pages. Uh, we have uh, a few to get through. We start with the Daily Mail. Uh, their lead story is Megan Bullying Inquiry Buried. I don't know if that means literally, like the uh, in the Blue Peter Garden, like a sort of time capsule, <laughs> could be. And Emma Raducanu and, uh, and Andy Murray crashing out of Wimbledon. Uh, the Daily Telegraph have number 10 fears PM faces kangaroo court. That's a bizarre fever dream that Boris Johnson is having there. And Raducanu's Wimbledon dream ends in tatters. Uh, Britain will fare worst in a downturn, says Bank Governor. He's a never-ending source of... Rays of sunshine. The Independent have the firms cashing in on housing for the vulnerable. We will try and take a look at that shortly. And Wimbledon dream over for Raducanu. Financial Times have high inflation will persist longer in UK, Bailey warns. Uh, that's the Bank of England governor. Uh, there is a picture of Erdogan and Biden who find common cause as US stiffens defences. And recruiters attack inflammatory plan to break strikes with agency workers. The Mirror has a much more colourful uh, front page. Hero Debs taught me how to share my cancer pain. That is, of course, the uh, the sad end of the bowel babe. 
and uh, £100 million for the Royals, rein it in. Then we have the Metro with Europe's new Iron Curtain. The US promises 100,000 troops on the Russian border. Biden fails will step up. Moscow rage uh, that this would be tantamount to starting World War Three. Daily Star, finally, and you can't park that there, mate. Mystery as rocket crashes into moon. They never let us down. So those are the front pages. Let's take a dive inside. So our first story this evening, not in fact on those front pages, but an important story, a grimly satisfactory conclusion to one of the most appalling crimes of the century so far, Simon. This is the uh, sentencing of Salah Abdeslam. I'm not sure how you pronounce his name, I apologise. And he was the only survivor of that 10-man terrorist group in Paris in 2015. Mm. 130 people killed, almost 500 people injured. And he was sentenced today to the longest sentence that you can get in France, mm. which effectively is no parole until, 20, until 30 years. He claimed that he had uh, taken off his vest and... Uh, that he was to, had to, to turned against the idea, yeah. but the court rejected that and said, basically, I guess he really turned into a bit of a coward at the end. Everybody, all be, the others died. He seems to have been quite a, a meandering path. His story seems to have changed quite a lot. He took off, didn't he? All the others died at the sea. They all he died, then, he including then, his brother. And he then made it to Belgium, I think, where he was... And he went to a cafe, and then yeah. he took his vest off, and, yeah. you know, there was a debate, was it misfired? Did he take it off? And then, yes, he went to Belgium, where he came from in the first place, yeah. and where he lived. But I thought, rather than dwell on him, hmm. I thought it might be... Um, Wonderful to read uh, the letter that was written by Antoine Leris, whose wife died at the Bataclan. Mm. And he has a young son uh, who was two at the time, I think, or 17 months old at the time. And I'll just read you a couple of sentences. He wrote this letter. He said, I will not grant you the gift of my hatred. You're asking for it. But responding to hatred with anger is falling victim to the same ignorance that made you what you are. I saw my wife this morning, finally after days of waiting, of course, I'm devastated with pain. I will give you this little victory, but the pain will be short-lived. I know that she will be with us every day. We are just two, my son and me, but we are stronger than all the armies in the world. You will not have his hatred either. Wow, that's very moving. What would you like to say, Nick? I don't have much to add to that, except that it's, it's interesting that the question of hatred was mentioned because in the court he asked the victims, he said, hate me with moderation, which I found to be a bizarre quote. And then he said, um, I'm not an assassin, I'm not a killer. Well, only because your vest failed to explode, basically. He seems to be rather a confused individual, but I think jail is probably the best place for him in the meantime. Yeah. Anyway, uh, as we move on, R. Kelly's most famous self-affirmation proves groundless, Nick. He is not, in fact, able to fly or even to walk on this occasion. Yeah, R. Kelly was sentenced today in Brooklyn Federal Court for 30 years in prison, which is quite shocking because you don't often hear a famous figure, you know, actually getting such a strict sentence. But when you look into the details of the case, of course, it's pretty horrific. He's actually been sentenced for racketeering because he had this gang of sort of bodyguards and managers conspiring together. And some of the charges include kidnapping, acts of forced labour and six acts of violating the Mann Act, which concerns trafficking people across state lines for prostitution or illegal sexual activity. I mean, there's some absolutely bizarre details. I mean, there's one here where a naked girl emerged from underneath a boxing ring in his garage 
which I found truly bizarre. Yeah. And, and there was a shaming video of a victim showing her smearing feces on her face as punishment for breaking his rules. So very hard to go from that to yeah. ignition remix. This is the ultimate art versus artist question. Can you listen to R. Kelly after he's gone down for 30 years for fairly horrific crimes? It's a good question whether... I mean, I never liked his music anyway, so I'm not in, 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 in any sort of quandary, but I, do th- I don't think I, anyone that I've ever actually listened to or admired has ever turned out to be quite such a wrong... And I, you know, you hear about people... Obviously, questions do still hover over Michael Jackson's legacy and people still play that stuff, and there are some people who, I think, do so suspect, suspecting that there is something, there is some sort of... Uh, you know, fire behind the smoke. But uh, this is a fully evolved, yeah. like, lunatic criminal kind and of the lyrics, genius. the lyrics of I Believe I Can Fly, and I have to tell you, I looked them up. Right. I haven't memorised them and I don't listen to them. I used to think I could not go on and life was nothing but an awful song, but now I know the meaning of true love. Wow. I yeah. mean, you think, actually, it turns out I'd rather think you don't. Yeah. And do you know what? I'll just add, I mean, not exactly in R. Kelly's defence, but just for the fullness of the story. He, he of course, was sexually abused himself yeah. by, his, I think, his landlord and I think his sister at, at length, you know, throughout his childhood. And later he... And they also pointed out... This was the defence. They also pointed out he basically was illiterate and couldn't read and he'd been, you know, exploited because of that. Obviously, it didn't do anything to mitigate... And his mother was killed when he died when he was young. Yeah, and yeah a very tough life. But, of course, obviously, it doesn't... No. Well, one, one slightly lighter moment in the story was that his lawyer said that 30... He's 55, remember, so his lawyer said that 30 years in prison is like a life sentence to mm. him. I wish people would stop saying like. Mm. That isn't like a life sentence. That is a life sentence. But it should be a life sentence. It Pretty has much, been what you know? it's intended to be anyway. Oh, I hope but, yeah. so. It, it does hope say so. he's, he's hopefully it will be overturned at appeal, but that seems incredibly unlikely to me. Yeah. Well, we will let you know if that does happen. A man has been charged, meanwhile, with the murder of Zara Alina, Simon. This is the last of an unfortunate triumvirate of first stories, but... um... Yeah. This is a young woman who... um, who was killed by a man as she walked home one night to actually her granny's, in fact, I think, rather than her mum's. She was clearly full of life, this woman, and she used to say, and apparently she and her friends discussed the deaths and murders of Sarah Everard and Sabina Nessa. And she said to her friends, don't worry, that'll never happen to us, you know? And the thing that I I found amazing was her friends said, Dara believed that a woman should be able to walk home. I mean, there's got to be something wrong, hasn't there, when we cannot honestly protect people, women, just walking home. And you plus this into... Um, you add this into the fact that the Met has been put into special measures. Mm. This is in Ilford, so it would fall under the Met. You begin to realise there's a serious failing here, isn't there, in security well, and police? I, I, I accept so that on. it's a failing, but I, I would ask, I would question, do you think it has been considerably better previously and it's, it's, it's now considerably worse, or do you think possibly that well, we... It's so many other things have improved that the things that we can't eliminate entirely... Well, there's always this difficulty. We certainly had this, I remember, when I was involved in Brighton in trying to help the police get a better relationship with with the gays, that's us lot, because Mm. what was happening was, you know, crimes were going unreported, and if they were reported, they weren't being dealt with properly, and they weren't getting the evidence, and they weren't getting the prosecutions. What happens then is once you improve the trust, of course, you know, reporting goes up. So actually what happens is that things like rape and whatever, but the conviction rate for things like rape is just... Absolutely terrible. One should say that the police did find this person who is accused of the murder pretty Mm. quickly. Mm. So I guess one can say on that level. But I just feel, you know, Pretty Patel 
Sadiq Khan are kind of playing the blame game at the moment but wouldn't you would about say... the Met. And actually, could you stop playing the blame game about the Met yeah, and but, work out how Simon, you protect people on the street? Simon, realistically, I mean, what are you asking them to be like a policeman on every block? No, because you can't do that. The policeman will always walk through, or the policeman will always walk past yeah. a crime that's behind a wall. No, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that actually, if I think people are more trusting of the police, that they report more, that they rely more on the police, there might just be a greater sense of security amongst people. I mean, clearly, you can't say to a young woman like this, don't walk home. What do you think, Nick? Well, only that, yes, I'm sure we'd all like, or many of us would like to have more police on the streets. I don't know what the stats are, but there used to be more police on the streets. Now there aren't. Of course, in the horrific case of Sarah Everard, that wouldn't do anything since it was a policeman. But, um, and also... But given the world we're in, you just have to be ridiculously careful. I mean, it says that her friends were in a taxi and she wanted to walk. It's just a tragic story. You know, bring pepper spray. Apparently wasp spray works well. You're going to have to... I think, I think you just have to be ultra aware of these things, don't you? Yeah, I have no idea what the circumstances might have been or what might or might not have helped, but... Um, you're right. I mean, I on should, reflection, should, actually, should have, you know, on reflection, I think you're probably right. I mean, we should be really clear. The Met Police, in this particular case, mm. didn't kill her. No. This bloke is alleged to have killed her, yeah. and we ought to put blame where blame is, so maybe I'm misplaced. I think what was annoying me was the Pretty Patel, Sadiq Khan, little boxing match going on, and actually... Actually, somebody's been killed, so let's focus on that, really. Nick, this is going to be a challenge to you because I know you love any excuse to utter a racial slur, but do try and step delicately around this one if you want. Who, who is writing these introductions? <laughs> on a, that is going straight to HR. I don't you know what it is. I actually, um, I actually did a bit of research on the internet and couldn't find it. No, I have found I it. Yeah. I have found I could, it. Yeah, I've done yeah, a bit more research, but I have found it, but I don't know if I can say it. But we'll I don't think it. so, no. So but... the story is Nelson Piquet faces lifetime F1 ban as he makes a pause over... Racist Lewis Hamilton remarks. What we have here is a question of racism or cultural difference. And I'll explain because a word was used um, that's a Portuguese word. And I suppose the claim is it's kind of, it's, it is the equivalent of the N-word. But that's the question, is it? Mm. So Edison Cavani had a similar thing at Man United a while ago where he, he's from Uruguay and he used a similar word. Mm. And his defence was he was using it affectionately in his country. It, it's used like that. Soft R, as they say. Well, and the, and, the, yeah, and the counter to that, of course, could be, well, no, just, it's just that those countries are more racist. But mm. what you could argue, especially in the Cavani case, where he was clearly using it affectionately, is actually it's kind of cultural imperialism from us to say that, because we, we banned him for a few matches, it's like, is it really up to us to say how that word is used in Uruguay? Or is that actually ironically yeah. sort of a cultural imperialism? But I don't know. I just want to say here that he did say, whether he's right or not, he said, what I said was ill thought out, and I make no defence for it, but I will clarify that the term used is one that is widely and historically been used colloquially in Brazilian Portuguese as a synonym for guy or person and was never intended to offend. I would never use the word I've been accused of in some translations. So that is his defence. Yeah, I actually did look it up on the Urban Dictionary and uh, the Urban Dictionary being a a fairly well-established website for this kind of thing. And the the, the dictionary definition of it does say... That same thing. uh, It says it's used of a a white or black man. It it means it's a a kind of... I saw that as well. well, My gang member. Well, I certainly read... I mean, there's a whole arguments about whether you can reclaim these words and yeah. so on and so forth. I personally think the one that, that people use about me is not reclaimable, the Q word. The thing that I think about this is that, you know, you just have to think for a moment, don't you, Nelson mm. PK? I mean, do you really have to, if you, if, you know, you're, it's sort of his son-in-law, his daughter goes out with the bloke that, uh, that, that Hamilton had the crash with, well, I can't remember his name, whatever he's called. Um, and so he's sort of defending his kind of quasi-son-in-law. And does he really need to refer at all 
to Lewis Hamilton's race. I mean, you know, but Lewis saying, Hamilton is a huge champion, and yeah. so on and so forth. And the other thing about but the he's word, saying, just to clarify, he's saying he wasn't referring to his race. He's saying he's referring to him in a slang term. Yeah, but actually, land. the bits that well, what I read from Brazilian commentators said that is pretty thin defence. Yeah. That it's not really. It's pretty much used as a slur. And the other thing, it's a diminutive. Yes, it's like. Little Lewis Hamilton. So either way, it's pretty insulting. I mean, whether or not you're up for an F1 ban, I don't. I mean, I don't it, watch it. It, it does seem to be yeah, universal yeah, you know, in the um, in the community, doesn't it? Everyone has come out, including Damon Hill. Yeah. Like, uh, but why refer to? I mean, the point about Lewis Hamilton is that you know Lewis Hamilton is an astonishing driver, mm. and I mean, a race plays an absolute part in his life. Mm. But actually, why refer to it at all in the in the sense that he's not just saying, "Oh, it's a guy." I'd be interested if he gets a, a lifetime ban off a, mm. even if it was a rush of blood, but not my world, so not for me to say. Simon, what is the world coming to when a prince has to stop receiving massive amounts of cash in uh, non-sequential bills? You see, that's what I love about this, is Prince Charles will no longer accept large cash donations for yeah. charities. The thing about cash, you see, it's cash, isn't it, is that... Um, yeah, I, firstly, I didn't know anybody paid cash for anything any longer. I mean, obviously, the sheikh who was giving him the money just should have said to start with cash or card. Yeah. You know, that would be the first thing. But the thing I love about this is that three million from a billionaire Qatari sheikh, they're always billionaire Qatari sheikhs, and that's a series of tautologies, and then it's stuffed in a small suitcase. Mm. And cash is always stuffed, isn't it? It's never neatly piled. It might have well been in nice little <laughs> both. And I, I looked them up and it struck me it's the same thing as as Love Rat and Godmob and Sex Romp and Stunner and yeah, Medic, yeah. isn't it? And well, there was a time tops. in tabloid newspapers where shakes were, were absolutely fixtures. I, you remember, there was a secret shake. Well, there was there? the was dodgy it? shake. It was yeah. the bloke who got done for being the, the, the fake oh, shake. The fake, or the fake shake. Yeah. Or the fake shake. Yeah. This but, isn't him, though. But the thing about this is that I don't, I mean, I don't see the problem of getting cash for his charities, really. Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit... But if, if the cash comes... I mean, the cash may not be legit... But that's the point, rather than the fact that it's cash. I mean, is a back chance for any better? What do you think? To answer your question on this, on stuff, I think that's probably a question of physics. You're trying to get three million into a Fortnum and Mason carrier bag, <laughs> so it probably is a stuffing more than a placing. But he, um, my favourite part is that the royal source said that he has to throw an operates on advice. The advice was, take the big bag of money, presumably. Yeah. I mean, who's advising him? Is it, is it Tony Montana from Starface? <laughs> you do wonder. Um, and then it says uh, that it was passed immediately to one of the prince's charities. Now, is that a technical term? Or did he literally pass the bag? Go, oh, here you go, mate. Yeah. This is for you. Just standing out Bring the, the chairman. <laughs> here it is. The there thing- was a slightly more serious point, though. There was uh, some suggestion that serious? this story had only resurfaced. After it's several years old, it's only resurfaced as a shot across the bowels of Prince Charles, who had been... A little bit unnecessarily vociferous, some people thought, uh, over certain other issues. For instance, the government's uh, resettlement of uh, refugee stroke uh, economic migrants to Rwanda and so on. And there was a suggestion that some newspaper decided to... Just go, okay. don't forget, Charles, we've got a few things in the bottom right. drawer here that yes. we can pull out any time. And, of course, like. the other thing was that there was the allegation, not Charles, but one of his... Flunkies, is that the official term? Mm. Do you remember there was a whole, there was a potential cash for honours thing? Yeah. And so, so forth. The thing I like about Fortnum and Mason bags is that, that <laughs> or, or at least Waitrose bags, is that oh, I live near a little, and so I don't want to be seen in there, you know, so I do go, but under dark. And then, but I always go with a Waitrose bag. The bag for life. Just yeah. for fun. <laughs> and I went to Waitrose the other day, and blow me down, there was a bloke in Waitrose with a Fortnum and Mason bag. And I just thought this is fantastic sort of inflation, status inflation. <laughs> I always like to uh, to downplay my status. When I lived in East Dulwich, I always claimed Peckham. I'm one of those people. Yeah, oh, you're one of those. Little bag into Waitrose. Exactly, yes. yeah. Housing providers have pocketed millions from the state, Simon. This is uh, from The Independent. 
Yes, uh, well, I, I think <laughs> this is the independent, but this is a classic scam, unfortunately. So yeah. what you've got essentially here is the independent of, of uncovered. There's something called um, it's 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 benefit money that's paid. And it's paid extra for things like women who are fleeing domestic violence or drug users or whatever. And basically, housing associations, which are registered providers and charities and regulated, are able to draw in this money in order to provide particular services. Mm. And what the scam does is that, A, it provides services that are not very good. So that's one question. But what they do is they provide the services through other companies, which it turns out are their own commercial arm. Oh. So what you've got here is you've got a housing association that was set up called Pivotal. But actually then there's a series of companies around Pivotal, it appears, which are owned by this couple. And the allegation is that they've essentially been siphoning money off through the legitimate aim. And actually the people who are supposed to be getting it are not getting it, you know. Uh, 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 the, the, the drug addicts, the, the women fleeing from domestic violence and so on and so forth. It's a kind of, unfortunately, this happens again and again. Yeah. It does appear that the regulator, the regulator of social housing, with whom I have, I should say, for the uh, transparency, I'm chairman of the Housing Association and I have, therefore, I am regulated by the regulator of social housing. But it does appear that the regulator is on this. Right. So that's a good thing. Any views on that, Nick? I think Simon's covered it brilliantly. I think so too. The new Iron Curtain now and uh, how the West is shoring up the NATO alliance. For those who missed the old Iron Curtain, so this is, yeah, Europe's (laughs) new Iron Curtain, I think the Metro has it. And this is uh, Biden speaking at NATO summit and he's announced several measures. So the creation of a new base for the US Fifth Army Corps in Poland, which is the first permanent American base in the country. Meanwhile, NATO uh, formally invited Finland and Sweden to join the alliance after Turkey dropped its opposition um, NATO have announced that their high alert force is being increased from 40,000 to 300,000. So there's various escalations of, of NATO. And Moscow has reacted with fury, of course, saying that NATO expansion will be destabilising for Europe. Could argue a little bit of irony when you've just started a war. But, <laughs> but we have to be balanced on this show. And, you know, some people do think, of course, that, that NATO were too aggressive in expansion. And that is certainly Russia's view. They're saying we consider the expansion of the North Atlantic lines to be a purely destabilising factor in international affairs. It does not add security either to those who are expanding it, those joining it or any other countries that perceive the alliance as a threat. That was the foreign deputy foreign minister, Sergei Ryabkov, uh, possibly mm. pronounced badly. Anyway, so that, that's essentially, that's, that's the key part. Yeah. The thing too, I think too, is that the, the, the European, because there's Poland and then these various other countries like Latvia and so on and so forth are being, uh, 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 they sort of surround, don't they? They're the border states of, of, of Russia. So I sort of thought of it as an iron pelmet more, more than, <laughs> than a curtain. I'm sure that would be a useful <laughs> diplomatic intervention think, if you were to send those across. Yes. Coming up. Halifax has received criticism over its take on pronouns. Tony Blair thinks he can do a better job with Britain. Second time around, perhaps. Scotland's population crisis. All that and more coming up after the break. Join us in a couple of minutes. And welcome back to Headliners with me, Simon Evans, Simon Fanshawe and Nick Dixon. So the UK's primus inter pares has called for a bona fides patrimana inter mare nostrum. This is, of course, <laughs> Boris Johnson's call for a very old world order to be reinstated from Wednesday's Express, Simon. Well, 
Boris Johnson's call for the EU to be replaced as he demands changes to Macron's plan. Yeah, you're quite right. He decided to call this... I mean, honestly, he called it a mare nostrum. You know, yes. look, I went to one of the poshest public schools and I don't understand what he's talking about. It meant about, RC, yeah. the Mediterranean. The yeah, I know it meant RC, but I mean, really, seriously? they had everything all the way around it. It's got to resonate, resonate up the red wall, don't you think? It's a Fantastic. natural formation for a geographical it's alliance. Nonsense. It's quite inclusive, science. It's it brings nonsense. in Turkey and... Well, another thing, too, was he said... That <laughs> He said it could be more like Eurovision. Yeah. It, does he want to move Britain's role in the world further back than it already is? We but just very nearly won Eurovision. We didn't very nearly we won very, Eurovision. We would have won except for the sympathy Oh, don't, don't start we with that. We've lost Eurovision. We've lost Eurovision He's consistently bouncing. with ghastly tunes. But the thing about this is, I mean, this is Boris Johnson. Just, I mean, he's desperate, isn't he? He's like a, he's like a barker at a fairground. He's like, the bearded lady. No, the bearded lady with two heads. No, the bearded lady with two heads going to Rwanda. You know what I mean? It's just getting stupider and stupider, I think. I find it completely ludicrous that we're faced with a Prime Minister now who's got so little credibility and so little trust. You, for God, I mean, as they say, for God's sake, go, you know. But what, and, on the other hand, Nick, would... Well, you're you, quoting I mean, David Davis. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Macron Davis. apparently came up with this idea and, and Boris was... was well, he said, well, he said it was his... Boris claims that actually he did. So it's, it's yeah. a competition who came up with The thing that does deserve me to make another Godfather reference is that we, just when we, when we think we're out, they keep pulling us back in. We've got out of the <laughs> EU. And Boris wants us to bring us into an even bigger sort of super when national I said, thing. When I said freedom, what I meant was... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's bring in Israel and... What I love, actually, he didn't say it was... He said it was his idea, but the phrase was interesting. He said, I claim paternity of this idea, and that's the only thing he's claimed paternity <laughs> of ever. What he might be interested in, though, is any sort of uh, a coalescence of, uh, of states around the Mediterranean would exclude, of course, Germany, wouldn't it? That, and that has been, I mean, that, the, the, the extent that the EU represented essentially the greater Germany. Oh, I see. But You're winning me over. Suspicion. Under the Roman Empire, the German lands were essentially the lands of the barbarians. Weren't yeah, they? but it would be stupid years. to have a European, a European <laughs> set of relations which excluded Germany, for goodness sake. It's a great idea. to get Germany in the position, you know, where it doesn't fight the wars any longer. It'd be a good <laughs> thing to kind of engage with them, I think. Very possibly. OK, let's see what we've got next. We have a... Uh, uh, sort of from the Telegraph now, a story tailor-made to get your non-binary goat, I would imagine, Nick. <laughs> My favourite story of the night. So this is uh, in the Telegraph. You're welcome to close your accounts if you don't like pronoun badges, Halifax tells customers. So if you're not on Twitter, this was a... Uh, Halifax put out a tweet of someone called Gemma, and they said, pronouns matter with the hashtag, it's a people thing. And it was a picture of someone called Gemma, and she had a badge saying she, her, hers, as if we didn't know that Gemma was a woman. And this has received a massive backlash on Twitter. They got ratioed into oblivion, if you know what that means. Yeah. And they, so Warren Richmond, who's a Twitter user, said, there's no ambiguity about the name Gemma. It's a female person's name. In other words, it's pathetic virtue signaling and yeah. is seen as such by almost everyone who's responded to the initial tweet, tweet. Why are you trying to alienate people? And this is when Halifax really smashed it out of the park. They said... We strive for inclusion, equality, and quite simply, in doing what's right. If you disagree with our values, you're welcome to close your account. So basically, we strive for inclusion, and if you're not okay with that, get out and close your account, which is hilarious. It reminds me of Elon Musk recently in a Twitter meeting when he said to the staff, his, they said, what's your version of inclusion? He's like, bringing more people onto the platform. That's what it used to mean, more people. Yes, yeah. But now it means something else. And I just say, this is classic from the left. I'll say the woke left if you prefer, so that we don't anger everyone, but... It's this sort of juvenile thing of thinking that your views are morally right. You have the moral monopoly and everyone else is just wrong. It's such a simplistic mindset. And actually, it's more complicated because, of course, the gender critical left is also very much against this. Yeah. So they're alienating virtually everyone. And it's very disturbing to see it from a bank 
And I just briefly would uh, reference Robert Conquest's second law of politics yep. when he said that any organisation that isn't explicitly right-wing will sooner or later become left-wing, and that's yep. what we've seen here. Yeah, I think and you would think the... a bank should be explicitly right-wing. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone. The pronouns thing I find complicated. Mine are get her, by the way. Um, <laughs> and God's pronouns are thee and thou. That's important. But the thing that I find aggravating about it is that people use it as this kind of be kind. It's a people thing. Mm. Whereas actually it has behind it an ideology. It has a view of the relationship between sex and gender, which not everybody shares. Now, if you want to wear badges, pronoun on your badge, well, in a way, help yourself. I think the problem really comes is when it's projected as this idea that it's the nice thing to do, it's the right thing to do, but it actually carries with it this kind of ideological or, or, or theoretical view of the world, which if you don't agree with, if it's positioned as the nice thing to do and you don't want to do it, then you're seen as a nasty person. Yeah. That's the real danger with it. And this idea of inclusion, I mean, I work in this. This is one of the things I do professionally. It's precisely about difference. Inclusion. We wouldn't talk about inclusion or diversity if we weren't all different. And so the point of diversity and inclusion is not to make us all the same. It's to understand how we can combine and collaborate our differences, maintaining them, but understanding that we can and, collaborate and with them to create said, companies or societies or whatever. As somebody has said, in the, in the specific case of somebody to whom you've just gone to try and cash your, your, your weekly pension cheque or whatever as well, it's particularly absurd because you don't even use their pronouns, do you, in their presence? You will That's be standing true. there facing a cashier. It's mm. not even going to come up. You can sort of understand it. If there were a group email, I wouldn't support it myself because I agree with you. It's an ideology and I don't support that ideology and it would be hypocritical of me to adopt it and just pretend it didn't matter. But in a group email, if somebody signs off with their pronouns, you can understand because the next email, you may want to say, well, I think he was wrong when he said that. And you right. go, I'm sorry, they were wrong. But in this mm. scenario, it's, it's just purely... Perhaps they'd argue it's between staff so they can refer to each other correctly. I don't know. Okay. I mean, yeah. just being ridiculously fair to them, too fair, but it's interesting. Simon, Simon's saying that's actually his job, but is it a bank's job? I mean, they say here we want to create a safe and accepting environment that opens the conversation around gender identity. Well, why? Why does a bank need to yeah. open that conversation? Then it said, can I just add quickly, it said it's a very simple solution to accidental misgendering, but it's not a simple solution because you've got thousands of people outraged about it on yeah. Twitter. I think that's the key thing. A, it's become very, very divisive. But I go back to this idea. Diversity is not about everybody being the same. So everybody having pronoun badges and everybody agreeing about gender ideology. It's precisely about the ability to disagree about it well. Yeah. That's what it's about. I agree with you. Everyone's favourite politician is back in the headlines now, Simon. This is from Wednesday's Times, a call for a, a new radical centrism in politics. This is Tony Blair. Tony Blair says Britain lacks any plan and needs a radical centre. I think it's quite interesting, this idea. I mean, there's so much, you know, to criticise Tony Blair. You, you can do all sorts of things. He's got this peculiar effect on the British people. But I do find that when he speaks, I find myself compelled to think about things and that he has a way of, of making points which I find provocative and useful. Yeah. And so one question is, what does the radical centre mean? And, I mean, I'm certainly upset now because I don't feel like I fit into the left and the right. It feels to me... I don't understand why the left always thinks it's right and the right never thinks it's wrong, yeah. you know? I feel like I want ideas from here and ideas from there, and I don't want necessarily an ideological position. And I think the radical centre, to me, means this idea that you 
what you do is you take ideas and you start to combine them. And his particular thing, and I mean, I've heard him say this again and again and again in various lectures, it's about the impact of technology, how we really understand the kind of revolution we're going through at the moment, how we really understand the infrastructure and the way in which things, the underpinning things in society are changing, and how we actually get to grips with that, with a plan, not kind of, you know, party political sort of manifestos, but a genuine plan which takes ideas from, from wherever. And I always find that interesting and thought-provoking, so I like it. Well, I'll take a different view. I mean, the idea of a radical centre immediately sounds like an oxymoron, but this is actually based on the Rest is Politics podcast, which I forced myself to listen to in the car with Rory Stewart and Alistair Campbell. I got through uh, about half of it, and it was quite interesting. The most interesting thing Blair said was he talked about the centre-ground problem, and he talked about the post-ideological, practically-based, clear values and applying them to the modern world. Now, to me, post-ideological... When people like Blair say it, it tends to mean we're tearing through society with a load of left-wing ideas and we don't even care if you like them or we don't even notice. It's not actually post-ideological because I believe Blair is much more radical and not as centrist as we believe on social and cultural issues. Mm. Broadly, I'd say, I think a lot of people would say, Thatcher forced Labour to be more free market and modernise on the economy. But what people don't say as much, which Peter Hitchens has covered really well, is that Blair and New Labour then forced the Tories to go much further left on social, moral, cultural issues. Yep. So now what you have is your average metropolitan liberal elite person, and I meet them all the time because I live in North London, and they tend to have fairly sound views on the economy and then radically left views on things like Black Lives Matter or Antifa, these, you know, supporting... Yeah, but, come on, you can't accuse... I mean, you can't accuse Blair of, of going down that route because he has explicitly said that that is a diversion. He's explicitly said that actually Labour needs to sort out what it means by a woman. He's explicitly said that actually getting captured by notions of Black Lives Matter and the campaigning element of that, not fighting racism or trying to end racism, but the campaign... He's explicitly rejected that. He has, Simon, but I think what... Nick, if I might paraphrase or at least say what I think, I think what you saw with David Cameron, for instance, and he had, remember, like a full term and then, uh, you know, uh, and lost Brexit and, and resigned... Was that was essentially a continuation of New Labour? The Tories essentially governed as New Labour. Oh yeah, but I, I, I take so that. Move that dialogue to that extent. Yeah, but, but I, I don't. Can but I, I don't. Can I, re- I, can I reply you... to your earlier point? Yeah, because it's not that Blair explicitly comes out and says I love BLM. It's that late, and it would take a whole book to say why. But but in that time period, we be, we shifted on things like divorce laws. We shifted on things like marriage. We shifted mm. on perception of Christianity as somehow a bad, dirty thing. And that seems to have happened during the Blair period, and then in the Cameron period, and so on. It this doesn't feel radical now, but if you looked at it to where we were 30 years ago... Yeah, but if you, yeah OK, right. but the other things it shifted on was... I mean, we did shift our attitude towards marriage in the sense we started to make marriage same-sex as well as opposite-sex. Yeah. We also did civil partnerships with people who weren't uh, gay and so on and so on. I mean, those relationships have changed and they've changed in order to respond to the change in demographics. I don't think you can accuse... You can, you can accuse elements of the left and certainly elements of the Labour Party and that sort of Corbynista rump of absolutely pursuing a mad notion of identity politics with which I will not have. I think the, I but think on the, the other hand, I don't think you can accuse this idea of the radical centre of that because the whole point about the radical centre is it's trying... He explicitly talks about both parties have been through the problem of fringe politics he, he, and he's he, trying to forge something... He does, but I would even question that because is Brexit really a fringe thing when 52% voted for it? But no, I do no, he's accept, not saying that. He is, he does. He says he's in not. the podcast that Brexit was... In a, but he, he says he now... He says, while well, not changing the Brexit decision, we need to fix the consequences of the way in 
in which it was delivered. Yes, but here he says he says the main parties have been through the problem of fringe politics becoming mainstream. And if you listen to the, politi- the podcast, he yeah. means Brexit on the right and he means Corbyn on the on the left. But Brexit's not necessarily on the right and it's not fringe. But think- he now admits that they're not fringe anymore. These views. Yeah. But the, the, the point is, now the claim is, Simon, that, that while well, you, you're correct about Corbyn, but that Blair's lot were actually secretly sort of in stealth more left than you think. Blair admitted he used to be a Trotskyite. Many of the figures around Blair actually much more left but than Blair he used That's to the say claim. About the, no, but Blair used to say about the trade unions, he said, you know, you think that I'm just doing this to make myself look electable. He said, don't be stupid about that. I actually, it's worse than that. I believe it. He was really clear about, for instance, trade union reform. Now, not all of that's great, but, I mean, as you see, trade union numbers dip. You want, actually, more penetration of trade unions into private sectors so that, actually, people's wages rise and there's more productivity because, actually, okay. that's what trade unions well, do. Well, I think Simon's going to move on. Well so I'm going to concede the that I've won. Times again now, and with Scotland's declining birth rate, uh, a suspicion they've lost their mojo, although it's hardly unique to Scotland, this situation. 1855 was when the first... Records were kept of the birth rate in Scotland. Mm -hmm. And this, birth rate too low to replace ageing citizens, this year, or at least the the 2021, should I say, is the second lowest relationship between births and deaths. So you've had 15,800, almost 16,000 fewer births and deaths. And my question is, you know, what is it that's stopping Scottish people having sex? Because much of Scottish clothing gives you a great opportunity to have sex, so let's be clear about that. The weather? And then the weather... Well, too yeah, cold. It's not too cold. That's a good reason to have sex, surely, to cuddle up, you know, <laughs> no, to no. get warm. And the other thing, too, I mean, I thought of feel... I, I spent a lot of my childhood in Edinburgh, which is full of lawyers and homosexuals, and, you know, which are you... And uh, the, the, the thing that always struck me there was Glasgow was full of sort of stomping fighter poets... And Edinburgh, which sort of rules the roost a bit, is just say no, hmm. just stop, don't do it. It's funny because yeah. we have a homosexual and a lawyer here, so I feel like we yeah. could be in Edinburgh. <laughs> well, exactly, um, exactly. But, Who are you? Uh, I'm, yeah, you're right. I'm, I, I don't fit in as always. <laughs> you're but, um, on the fringe of politics, I'm, again, you see. That's the I'm, uh, I'm non-binary. The, the, uh, no, but in oh, uh, a joke, thoughts. a little joke for you there, Simon. You'll get it later on the replay. I am so not um, non-binary. You wouldn't believe. Watch it on YouTube, and you'll get that. The, the, the big debate. I like, I'm interested in this birth rate thing because it's a big debate, isn't it, between the Malthusians on one side, the globalist Malthusians who say there's too many of us and we all need to eat bugs and disappear, and then the sort of Elon Musk side who says there's not enough of us to actually support our societies. And I prefer the Elon Musk side. It's much more pro-human, and I tend to believe well, it. Well, it's, it's not numbers, is it? It's, it's, it's the age range. That's the problem with this. In no, this particular one, yeah. yeah. I, I was getting older and older. There won't be any women who can have children eventually. The situation is... They're, they're, they're focusing on the, the, the difference between the, the number of people who were born and the number of people who died. The, the fertility rate in Scotland is catastrophic. It's absolutely cratering. It's 1.3, and you need 2.1 yeah. to sustain population levels, just to sustain. How many of you this got? Is like This is like uh, Russia again, which has something in the same sort of order now. And used to, like a century ago, have six, seven children per family and is now down to about 1.5. And this is what triggers certain it's kinds of bad behaviour. And it triggers all kinds of very unwelcome social effects. They are saying now there could be a million people in un- working as unpaid carers yeah, yeah. In, 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 like, in very near, you know, by the mid-2030s, something like that, out of a population of, what, five or six million. It's very, very yeah. serious. Mm. And, and one way out... Of, one of the reasons that Scotland, although it didn't like to admit as much, one of the reasons that Scotland was particularly put out by the, by the Brexit referendum, why it was profoundly 
in favour of remaining in the EU is because it used to benefit from the free movement of people from countries like Bulgaria and Romania, even the poorest countries would still see that their, their future you know, looked a lot rosier in Scotland when you had free movement because a lot of the brightest and the best in Scotland go straight south. So what is our right. plan? What is our radical centrist plan? I was going to say the more same. more sex in yeah. Scotland. I was what gonna, is the plan? I was actually going to say that. We're going to have to have a Blairist kind of public health plan to encourage Scottish people to have sex, which is pretty bizarre, isn't it? Well, it is. What would be your solution? I think my solution would be to have... I think it's a good idea. I think, by and large, sex is kind of a good thing. And there should be more of it. So even think, in Scotland? Even in Scotland, wow. I would say. You know, and I think we should, go, we should go up to the Edinburgh Festival Fringe, which I am doing between the 19th and the 23rd of August, and we should have more sex. Not that me having sex is going to help. I'm against sex, of course. Are you? Is that yeah, you as a Puritan, I'm, I'm a Puritan, and I'm against, Simon said we must move on, so I can't go Coming into it, sadly. Coming up after the break, the <laughs> turn on its guide with menopausal women, calls for TikTok to be banned, and you do be a judge... Dogs fetching tennis balls at Wimbledon. See you in a couple of minutes. And welcome back to Headliners with me, Simon Evans. I am joined by Simon Fanchel and Nick Dixon. And we have the Metro next. Tick tock, tick tock. The clock is ticking down for China's favourite data harvesting app. Nick. <laughs> yes, you, you know that one. It's, it's US officials want Apple and Google to ban TikTok from app stores. So this is kind of cross-party issue because Trump was banging on about it. And now the FCC Commissioner Brendan Carr has said that he's written to Apple and Google and highlighting the threat posed by TikTok in terms of... Basically, he's claiming it's a wolf in sheep's clothing. He's saying it harvests swathes of sensitive data that new reports show are being accessed in Beijing. And it's always the question with TikTok, is it a sort of corporatist big tech monopoly to try and shut down TikTok, or is it actually spying for the Chinese? And it depends which side... Or is it even a psyop, I think, to demoralise young people in the West? Because it, And even if it's not, it certainly functions like that, doesn't it? <laughs> it dumbs people down, it lowers their attention span, it shows them a load of rubbish. If, if it's not, China should get onto that now. But it's like, it's like with Huawei, isn't it? You always think, why are they giving us this free phone? You know, you tend to suspect yeah. with China there's always a chance that something is going on. And, and I would also add that the company is based, of course in the Cayman Islands, which is quite interesting as well. What do, you, what do you think, Simon? Is it a PSYOP or merely a data harvesting exercise? <laughs> Those are your choices. Well, I, I've, never watched, I mean, I've never used TikTok. I mean, I'm too stupid and too old. So I looked up what mainly appears on it. Dance videos, cute animals, social media challenges. Yes. Those are the top three. So I just thought, well, that's not exactly a national security threat, is it really? You wouldn't think so. It is extraordinary how much data they can harvest from these sort of things. But I tend to agree with Nick. I find it more alarming. It, it seems designed to, to, like, engender ADHD-type behaviour. Do you know what I mean? It seems, it seems deliberately provocative to the part of your brain that... You know, as an adult, I doom scroll on Twitter all the time. I don't look at TikTok because none of the content appeals to me. But I've seen the way my son looks at it. He will, he'll look at a thing that he wants to see. Somebody goes, have you seen the TikTok of blah, blah, blah? And then it immediately just starts, you know, and, and it, it is almost like a 60s sci-fi film of a... It's, in, it's incredibly addictive. And, and the two things that are back, I've noticed, are offensive humour, which I enjoyed amongst the Zoomers, and magicians do very well on TikTok. OK. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, Wednesday's Independent Next and the erasure of the word woman from NHS websites, Nick. Yeah. Um, yes, NHS removes woman and uh, women from menopause page. So 
in a no doubt, oh yes, a bid to increase inclusive language, which always seems to involve banning stuff yeah. and kicking people out of a bank. But um, <laughs> so, the, and at the time this first came in, uh, Sajid Javid said it wasn't right in one of these kind of vague, very vaguely sort of conservative statements. And uh, if you look at the website, it said the menopause is when a woman stops having periods and is no longer able to get pregnant naturally. And they changed it to menopause is when your periods stop due to lower hormone levels. So they kind of sidestepped the idea. And it's great for misogynists everywhere because they're continuing to erase women. And pra- so, I suppose yeah. your is slightly less jarring than some of the like sort of birthing person havers and things. Birthing I, body. I, I thought this was actually a bit of a non-example. Actually, yeah, to be fair, yeah. for that reason, I I wasn't that taken away from it because I do think there's a real problem when you start describing women by their bodily functions, yes. not, rather than an understanding of the relationship between biology and what happens to them in the world. Yeah. You know? uh, so I'm more concerned about that, I think. I wasn't that fussed about this one. I, I admit- would you like to see a word introduced at some point? And it would be lovely if it would bubble up, you know, naturally, but perhaps it does. It will take some imposing, some effort that could mean... Well, I don't know whether women should be replaced... As a biological term or a new term found for what trans women are and share with women? Do you know what I mean? Why not say women? I mean, I just think women and trans women. I mean, again, I go back to this point about difference. The whole point about diversity inclusion, being human, is that we are different and we have different experiences of the world, and it's through our differences that we understand how to be in relationships. So why not just call women and trans women? Then you will have to say, um, if you are a pregnant woman or trans man, right? And that that will that will kind of people will trip over that as if it's a typo. They they, they will, but that's the reality. Yeah. That's the reality of it. And it you know people do say it's slightly curious that if you're a woman and you don't want to be a woman and you become a man, and then you get pregnant, why did you not want to be a woman in the first place? I mean, there's a peculiar <laughs> contradiction. There. I mean, I can see there's a slightly more elegant solution, but the question is why does it have to happen anyway? It's still part of the same trend, isn't it, that brings us birthing bodies? But anyway, here we go. This one is uh, going to lighten the mood. Rudy Giuliani is being mocked for calling the police after he was assaulted. We get a quick look at the video before we discuss it. Here we go. That was it. Did you see it? Yeah, it's pretty that bad. Was it, that was it, right at the beginning there. That, I mean, it looked friendly to me beyond being... To be He's, fair, if you're 78 years old... That, again, bang. He is 78, that could knock you over. If he was 78? He is 78. Yeah, so it to him it not felt... Paul McCartney over... <laughs> No, well, everyone's different, but to him it felt like a punch. He did look, I will say this, he did look as if he had been assaulted. I think he experienced it as an assault, which is not to say that it should ever have been a policeman. His lived, his lived he experience. He said on two different occasions, he said, it felt like someone shot me, and he then said later, it's as if a boulder hit me. And you think, come on, Rudy, is it a bullet or a boulder? I mean, you can yeah. see this thing, can't you? A boulder was hurled from the grassy knoll. You know what I mean? And the thing, too, about him is that if you couple this with the, some of the evidence of Jason Miller, for instance, who was uh, ex-President Trump's communications director during the 2016 campaign, yeah. who at the June the 6th, uh, January the 6th hearings uh, recently said that on election night, he couldn't vouch for what Giuliani's state was when he talked to Trump, but when he, Jason Miller, talked to Giuliani, he was intoxicated. So yeah. you do wonder whether he thought this, he meant to say it felt like a shot. 
<laughs> what do you think, Nick? Well, I, dis- I know Jason Miller, and he's a good guy, and I, I disagree with that attempt to smear him, but I don't, didn't totally understand the details, so I just, I'll just say that. <laughs> but, um, you know, he could have responded better, Giuliani. It, when, when Arnold Schwarzenegger was kicked in the back, I've he shrugged that. it off as if he just wasn't hurt yeah, at yeah. all. And that's the way you deal with it. He was a good mayor of New York, but this is perhaps not his finest. I moment. think he's in decline. But I his lived experience think. was that it was a punch. That he, well, I do think that if, there was something in his body language that suggested he felt he'd been assaulted. A Japanese man has been allowed back to his island for one last time to say goodbye. It's a very touching story from Wednesday's Metro, Nick. Yeah, naked hermit who spent 29 years alone on Tropical Island returns for final goodbye. So he's an 87-year-old Japanese man, Masafumi Nagasaki, you may know of him. He, he <laughs> left behind his wife and two rumoured children, best kind of children to have, <laughs> some of the cheapest children you can have. And, um, fairy stories, though. After 29 years of solitary living, he was discovered by a local fisherman lying almost unconscious on a beach, which does, can happen when you live on an island for a long, long time. And... Um, my favourite bit is, he told reporters at this time, I don't do what society tells me, but I do follow the rules of the natural world. You can't beat nature, so you just have to obey it completely. <laughs> and, um, but he did say, when coming back onto the mainland, he was uh, treated with contempt and a little bit of fear by his neighbours. So <laughs> he come back, he, basically the story is he came back to the mainland, but then he got to go back to the island for one last sort of look at it. He, he liked to walk around naked, I believe, on the island. Was that part of it? He was a yes. He wore yeah. sandals only, that yeah. was the thing. And that can be frowned upon in some yeah. circles on, well, on the mainland. Yeah, you don't live in Brighton. Um, but one thing he said too is he liked it. I love this thing. You can't beat nature, so you have to obey it completely. Except every month he got a donation of water and rice cakes, which were paid by his family. Yeah, by his roommate. Seems children. to me that seems to be a little bit of the of the hypocrisy Best of both in there. That's my lifestyle. Wednesday star next. Dogs and tennis balls. That was never going to end well, was it, Simon? <laughs> this is such a perfect story. I mean, this is so dim. It's so obviously a plug, too, for a pet food company. But anyway, we'll set that aside. Okay. It's a charming story. Wilson Tennis Club, which I think the Daily Star is confused with Wimbledon in, at the top. Oh, right. <laughs> the, the, the idea is Wilton, which is near where I lived and my parents retired to in Salt, this very near Salisbury, it's where yeah. the Pembrokes live in Wilton House. And Wilton Tennis Club decided they would experiment with, instead of having ball boys and girls, they would ask dogs to go and pick up the balls, you know, which was a terrific idea because, as it said, uh, the dogs excelled at ball retrieval, but they underperformed in other areas, particularly returning the balls to the players. You can see it now. Great poor old Rafa Nadal's going, sit. (laughs) Yeah, well, because they demanded treats before they'd give the balls up. And that's the thing, the dogs understood leverage in a way that the, the kids didn't. They understood supply and demand. They're like, I've got something you want. Cough up Doesn't the sound tree. any different from female tennis stars demanding equal uh, terms of payment. Oh, I disavow that. Well, I know, were the dogs not invading the pitch during the, the rallies as well? No, I think they are very well behaved. Well, the point was because they were the thinking, court, Simon. thinking yeah. hurrah, they there'll were, be a ball in a moment and I can go and play with it. Yeah. Rather than there'll be a ball in a minute and I can bring it back. But this wasn't to be clear then, this is this is at a very small local tennis This is at Wilson Tennis Club and basically they contacted Wimbledon, and it turns out they haven't yet had an answer. Uh, well, that's all we have time for. Thank you so much, my guests. I'm a fan sure. Nick Dixon, an absolute delight. Gentlemen, I've been Simon Evans. I'll be back in this seat tomorrow night. I've yet to know who my guests are, but I'm absolutely sure they'll be up to the job. In the meantime, sleep well. Have a good night. See you tomorrow. Good night. Thanks for listening to Headliners, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode again. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a nice comment. 
Speak to you at the same time tomorrow for the paper review that's never boring. 